This is indeed the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's good to have you with us here this morning on this Saturday, June 4th, 2022, for our congregation at prayer. It is the eve of Pentecost. It's fitting for us then to look at tomorrow's uh, Old Testament, and it's not an epistle, second reading uh, from the book of Acts, the, the account of Pentecost, to prepare for tomorrow. The Old Testament reading is the Tower of Babel, and that's uh, that opening image. You wondered how startling that was. It's a modern um, modern image. It's talking about um, communication, actually. I think it's called <clears throat> something like the top floor of Babel. Or no, it's, it's called media equals message, top floor of um, Babel, or Babel, Tower of Babel, top floor, right? So media and message. So uh, you probably can't see it. It's too small on your screen, but there's all sorts of things on there. You've got the internet, you've got the telephone, you've got te- um, television, um, you've got Magic 8-Ball, you've got all sorts of um, mostly pagan, but also other ideas in there. Um, and you see there's this grand puppet master, which is the media, I think, in the background that's trying to, that's controlling all of the messages that you're receiving. And uh, I think, actually, the image rightly understands that uh, we haven't escaped from Babel and that media manipulation, uh, especially now uh, with social social media, um, it's actually a tool um, to accomplish the same sort of goals as Babel, which is to um, to live apart from God, to build ourselves up as uh, our own people by our own ideas, right? And we do that by controlling the message and then hopefully convincing others, right? So, um, what are all the things that you're supposed to take seriously today? Uh, well, you're supposed to take seriously uh, gun control, of course. That's big in the news here with all of the uh, um, the shootings being reported. I have to ask the question, why weren't they reporting all the shootings that were happening, say, for example, in Chicago for the last <laughs> years? Um, more people shot last weekend than were shot in any of the mass shooting events that they did report on. Hmm. Why did they report some and not others? Uh, what's different about now? Why is this the agenda now? Um, same thing with climate change, which is this big global agenda, or COVID was that way, right? Uh, why are we supposed to uh, all be on the same page and all be moving in the same direction? Um, it's actually a, a, a recapitulation, if you like, a recap, a redo of Babylon. Babylon. Let's all work together and we'll overcome our enemies, which turns out to actually be us. So, yeah, don't like how Jesus is on the cross. Um, even the message of the cross can be used to control and to manipulate. Hmm. Uh, rather than t- to preach, good news can be used um, in that in that uh, indoctrination kind of negative sense of indoctrination. So all sorts of things going on there. So uh, uh, I can link to it, I think, and uh, you can go look at it. Um, it's at the Museum of Modern Art, I think, or Museum of Art in Detroit. Um, I was just looking for a Babel image, and I found that one, and I thought it was really um, compelling for any number of reasons. Um, great art will do that. It doesn't, you don't necessarily have to agree with the message that's being said, um, but great art will be evocative in that way. It will communicate, and we forget that, that art is meant to communicate, um, probably without words. All right, so you can go check that out at... At your leisure. Um, the title comes from uh, Marshall McLuhan's famous maxim. He was a media critic. Um, uh, he is the one who coined the phrase, the medium um, defines the message. Right? And uh, his followers actually, uh, 
one of my favorite is Neil Postman, is very critical of uh, television preachers uh, back in the 80s, and then also um, the internet, in that uh, what what I think he recognized that others have, have only maybe recently recognized is that once you try to put a preacher, take a preacher out of a pulpit and put him on a television screen, his preaching changes hmm. out of necessity because it must entertain because um, that's the medium of television is it's for entertainment. Even the most, you know, uh, boring documentary, um, well, if it's too boring, you'll shut it off, right? So it needs to entertain. You have to be careful there. Um, <laughs> I guess before we begin with our, our prayer, uh, it's worth noting that I'm not here to entertain you. Um, that doesn't mean we can't laugh or cry together, but that's not the point. The point here is simply to hear God's word and to listen to what he has to say to us um, and take as long as it takes to do that. All right. So if uh, you lose attention, um, is that Jesus's fault or is that your fault? Is it my fault? Well, maybe. Maybe I, I'm not presenting it in an evocative way. Um, but does that actually affect the truthfulness of what's being said? Well, if it's being spoken according to, if it's being spoken according to God's word, no. <laughs> so there you go. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's say our memory verse together. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of, the, of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John 3, verses 5 through 6. All right, our psalm is Psalm 119, Aleph and Bait. We say them together. Blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your just and righteous decrees. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the just decrees of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight, as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, the Old Testament reading for tomorrow is from Genesis chapter 11. Now, the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. 
And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. All right. So we have here the use of language. Um, language, of course, is constitutive. It, it defines how, it's actually how God made the heavens and the earth and everything therein. And it's how he maintains it is by his word, according to the scriptures itself. Um, his, so his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's the word that matters. Um, but where the word is misused in order to um, lead astray from, from God, from faith, uh, outside of faith of him, where the word is used um, to build oneself up and not actually to build up the neighbor, where the word is used um, to make a name for ourselves and not to trust or to live in the name of, of Jesus, um, that's where um, the word is being misapplied and the Lord won't have it, as we see in Babel, right? Chris also asks about uh, the word. Um, the word has many synonyms, right? Um, she asks about, like, what's the difference between statutes Um which could be like a regulation, right? Um, or what was the other word? We have judgments, of course, would be a synonym. Mispont, right? Um, they're, they're a little bit different. I mean, they're different words. Statutes is, is hawk and, um, or huke here in this, in this form. And then you have judgments. Then you also have precepts, right? And the word for precepts is pikudim. Um, so what is a precept? That's a good question. Or we can use the, uh, these are all translations of Hebrew words, but uh, we can use the, the regular English dictionary here to look them up. All right, so for example, precepts, um, oh, excuse me, comes from, comes from the Latin preceptum, um, which is a word for warning. Precepts are uh, historically mean warning, a general rule intended to regulate behavior or thought. All right. Um, statutes comes from, these are just the English words, but that's okay. Give us some from statutum, statutum in Latin, uh, which is from statuere, which is standing or to stand up. All right. So that's, those are laws written in legislative bodies. So precepts are ones that are governing. Statutes are, are legislations. Um, <clears throat> what would be another one here? Testimony. Of course, that comes, uh, that's also a court language. Formal or written statement um, coming from the Latin testimonium, which means to witness. Uh, decrees, that was the another one you asked about here. Yep. So we can talk about that. Um, a decree is an official order that has the force of law, so it doesn't come from a legislature, it would come from a, gov- a ruler. Uh, and that comes from the Latin decretum, something decided, right? So this might be, a decree might be analogous to an executive order for us. Whereas a, in a testimony, it would be the, um, what would be analogous for us? 
this would be the proceedings of of the Congress. Um, uh, precepts. These are going to be um, uh, rules, um, uh, rules that govern um, that are set up. So there's a rule. There's governing uh, rules for like each legislative body or um, for the various agencies, right? And then of course statutes. These are the 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 laws that are passed, hmm. right? But here it's all talking about gods. So we're saying that God has um, he has established uh, warrant laws that, that that guard us. He's he's legislated um, governing laws. Um, of course, he has his testimonies, what he has decreed or what he has spoken, and then his decrees are that uh, which come from his mouth. Um, in a way, they're all kind of synonymous, but in another way, there's a distinction between them in their use, even in Hebrew. Um, and you know, this is a, this is a poem. So as poetry goes. Um, you want to be creative in your word use, right? So he's trying to suggest that God's word is comprehend- comprehensively applied and, and analogous to all these different kinds of um, regulative words in our societies, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'll have to do with the law. Um, when we speak of law with, uh, with God, it's a little bit different. Um, we think of law as that thou shalt not, generally speaking, um, but that's not always true, uh, and especially not true, think about the law um, you might you might make it like the law of your home, right? Um, there's there's house rules. <laughs> you walk into our house. There's certain things that are expected that you do. There, some of them are for your protection. Some of them are just because that's who we are and that's what we do, right? And that and God's word applies that way too. It's not simply just thou. These are the things that aren't good for you, um, but here are the things that are good for you. Um, here's how to govern or regulate um, your life together, our life together as Christians in Jesus. Yeah. So law is kind of a more broadly used term than how we usually use it in English as well. <clears throat> but it's God's word that matters, not our own words. And so that's why God scatters the people here. Then um, our epistle, well, not an epistle, second reading, I guess, um, the book of Acts, because it's really a history. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of, upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in, with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Well, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be made known to you, and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall see visions, your old men, or excuse me, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, 
and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, Uh, so we uh, actually did some catechesis on this just a few weeks ago. So if you want to go through verse by verse, you can go back and find our our consideration of Acts 2 in the uh, congregation prayer, uh, like on our channel on YouTube. What I thought would be helpful here is to actually hear what Luther has to say about um, our Genesis text, the Tower of Babel from his great, uh, really magnificent uh, eight-volume lectures on Genesis, which were really, I think, the culmination of his thought um, at at the end of his life, the last uh, 10 or so years of his life. Um, His his conversation about Babel goes in a direction that you might might or might not have thought about. And I thought, um, of course, he gets to Pentecost, um, but I want, I want to think a little bit about it, what he has to say here. So, um, this chapter 2, Luther writes, deals with the extraordinary example of the holy patriarch Noah and of his family, especially those who were godly. It is intended to show us how much faith and godliness there was in the holy men, despite the incredible wickedness, envy, and tyranny Uh, that were widespread and dominant among the children of men. For some time after the flood, the entire earth was in a blessed state, for all people had one language, no small bond for maintaining harmony, and a particular asset for maintaining the teaching of religion. The fresh memory of the immeasurable wrath of God in the flood kept their hearts in the fear of God and in reverence for their ancestors. Noah's son Ham is the first to disturb this blessed state. As though he had forgotten the great wrath, He first despises the authority of his father, fourth commandment, and makes a mockery of him whom he ought to have respected as we have previously heard. Then he leaves his father and his godly brothers and sets up a new kingdom for himself on earth. Finally, his oldest son presents him with a grandson, Nimrod, who, after setting up his power through tyranny, afflicts the godly descendants of Noah in various ways, establishing a kingdom for himself and assuming sole sovereignty over it. Similarly, when the two sons had been born to Adam, two kinds of people took their origin from them. Cain left his father, established a special church without God's command, and held the true church in contempt. So that's the Cain and Abel story. The same thing happens here among the sons of Noah. From Ham, as from an ungodly and wicked source, the false and lying church takes its origin. In the present chapter, chapter 11, Moses unfolds this story about the beginnings of the pestilence that rages against the church. This chapter does not indicate clearly wherein the sin of the builders of the Tower of Babel consisted. Consequently, opinions vary both about the structure or tower itself and about uh, the sin of its builders. The more daring a man is in answering these, of each of these two questions, the more outspokenly he expresses himself. All right? Again, as to the structure itself and to the sin of the builders. And the common people, too, did not refrain from inventing stories. Um, so, uh, Luther, in a footnote, uh, it's rega- suggested that the story of Babel had a place in medieval folklore and legend. All right. Thus, they say, Luther says, that the height of the tower was nine miles, but that when languages were confused, a third of it was destroyed by the force of wind and weather, and the rest sank into the earth, so that now only one third of it is still in existence. Moreover, they claim that it was so high that from it one could hear the voices of the angels singing in heaven. But we disregard these foolish tales. It is worthier of our inquiry to give thought to the sin of the builders, something that cannot be clearly understood from the text. 
Lyra is of the opinion that the descendants of Ham undertook this construction with the idea of having a safe place of refuge if the Lord should again want to destroy the world by a flood. I do not agree. In the first place, Ham also heard the plain promise that the earth would never again perish by a flood. In the second place, Ham knew that the flood had risen 15 cubits above the highest mountains of the entire world. Therefore, I believe that they were not stupid enough to think that they could erect a pile so high that it could protect them from a flood. I believe their motive is expressed in the words, in these words, come, let us build ourselves, Luther italicizes, a city and a tower. In the original, those were all, that's all capitalized, ourselves. These words are evidence of smug hearts which put their trust in the things of this world without trusting God and despise the church because it lacks all power and pomp. Hence, what Lyra says about a safe place against the violence of a raging flood I consider to be an allegorical tale. The fathers used it to depict men whose extreme contempt for God makes them think that in their own power there is some protection against God's wrath. Indeed, you may invent any story you please about a heart that is smug and does not fear God, and it would still be impossible to depict ungodliness adequately. I have no doubt that this very account gave rise to the story about the giants who formed the plan to expel Jupiter from heaven and heaped mountains upon mountains, just as the story of uh, Deucalion originated from the account of the flood. All right. Uh, so there Luther is remarking how um, the, 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 the myth of, well, many of our, the myths that we know of other cultures um, actually find their origin in the stories of the scriptures, the actual account. These accounts became known among the Gentiles through the sermons of the patriarchs. Therefore, I think that they're here, that here the sin was nothing else than extraordinary smugness and pride linked with contempt for God. The ungodly are wont to behave in such a way. When they are puffed up by success, they suppose that they are sitting on God's lap, and in their great self-reliance, they have the audacity to do anything they please. Mm-hmm. So there you have, uh, yeah, pride um, before the fall, right? Now notice this. Similarly, Ham's sin was a a sin not only against the church, establishing his own church, right, but against the government as well. For he laughed at his holy father and despised his religion and doctrine. After he had separated from his father, as we heard previously, he established both a new government and a new religion. His grandson Nimrod likewise sinned against both the government and the church. He did not cultivate the true religion, and he practiced unjust tyranny on his cousins, whom he expelled from their paternal lands. There is no doubt that these people who, as Moses says, migrated toward the east, were Nimrod and other descendants of Ham, for Moses gives a clear indication to this effort at the beginning of the chapter. These sins brought on their own punishment, as Moses will describe a little later. Right, So it's no coincidence that those who settled in the east later become known as Babylon, Babylon, right? They're the spiritual and earthly, you know, governmental successors to Babel. Therefore, these words, which Moses has set down so simply that they urged one another to build a tower in a city, must be interpreted in a harsh manner as though Moses were saying, quote, Was this not colossal pride and great contempt for God, that without asking God for advice, they dared to undertake a massive, so massive a project on their own responsibility? End quote. They drive out the godly descendants of Shem from their inhabitations and are intent on subjugating the entire world, but especially on suppressing the church. 
Therefore, this sin is horrible apostasy from the church, from the word, and from the very angels of God to the devil. It involves sin not only against the first table, those dealing with God, but also against the second. Here, the emphasis lies on their saying, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, not for God, not for the church of God, but to suppress the church. And on the words, let us make a name for ourselves. These men who are gripped by such intense desire to exalt their own name are surely not concerned that the name of God may be hallowed. And without a doubt, they looked with profound contempt upon the humble cabins of the Holy Fathers and their brothers, since they were building in such a grand style. Right? You might hear echoes of um, uh, our globalist elites. Right? Let us build it, make a name for ourselves, our own cities, our own towers, live apart from God and apart from his word and apart from the church. Hmm. Now, nor is it without purpose that when they declare that the top of the tower should reach to the heaven, these words must not be applied to the height alone. They also denote that this is was to be a place of worship. The implication was that God was dwelling very close to this tower. This is Satan's way. He adorns himself with the title of God and wants to have superstition regarded as religion. The church in our age has no deadlier enemies than the Turk, that's the Mohammedan, the Muslim, and the Pope. But both make a display of the name of God, and they suppose that there is nothing they cannot get by means of this title. Meanwhile, we hear ourselves we hear ourselves called heretics, the seed of Satan, apostates, and rebels. This is the way things have always gone, even in those earliest times before and after the flood. In this passage, the descendants of Ham are portrayed as people who despised the lowliness and godliness of the church and built Babylon, not only for political purposes, but for the sake of a religious impression, namely, that the place might be regarded as very close to heaven and as a habitation most pleasing to God. Therefore, the saying is true that every apostate is the persecutor of his own kind. Because Ham and his descendants separated from the church, he made it his business later on to oppress the church and to elevate himself and his own people. Satan likewise persecutes God and the church with a fierce hatred now that he is separated from God and the angels, who are the heavenly church. In order to be able to do this with some success, he transforms himself into the angel of light and abrogates, or excuse me, arrogates divinity to himself. Thus, here in the midst of Babylon, he makes himself a kind of God and sets up a church for himself in order to suppress the true church. Now, it is up to the godly to act in like manner. After they have separated from the church of Satan and have deserted it, they should also begin to hate it. Thus, by the grace of God, we are holy apostates, for we have defected from the Antichrist and the church of Satan and have allied ourselves with the Son and the true church. It befits us to stand with this and assail the false church. Wow, it just keeps going, and it's so good. We haven't quite gotten to Pentecost yet. He's going to get to the languages in a moment. All right, in this passage, Moses points out the sin of apostasy, namely that the descendants of Ham, Nimrod, and others separated from God and the Word from the fathers and the church, not only so far as their outward association was concerned, but so far as religion and worship were concerned. They lived in accordance with their own devices and desires. It was no sin in itself to erect a tower or or to build a city, for the saints did the same. And Asher, whom I believe to have been altogether a saint, built Nineveh because he could no longer live with the ungodly. See Genesis 10. This, however, is their sin. They attach their own name to this structure. Having despised Noah and the true church, they are intent on sovereignty. They maintain that they are a people who are very close to God, to whom God listens and to whom he grants success. And they conclude that Noah, in turn, 
has abandoned and cast aside, been cast aside by God. Thus, this account portrays the ungodliness, the schemes, the ambition, and the plots of all ungodly men, especially of the hypocrites who alone appear to themselves to be holy and very close to God and who want to rule the earth. If you want to call this sin by another name, it is truly blasphemy of the name of God and a violation of the Sabbath. It is rank idolatry by which the glory of the living God is changed into a calf, that is, into an idol of the heart. These sins beget others, namely hatred of the true church, persecution, tyranny, murder, robbery, and even fornication and adultery. For the false church is always the persecutor of the true church, not only spiritually, but by means of false doctrine and ungodly forms of worship, but also physically by means of sword and tyranny. You might think about um, the ongoing attacks on the, um, the freedom for us to um, both confess our faith, but practice it by our state. Now, I don't know if you saw this. The story's been going around, but <clears throat> we got a letter from, um, not is it the Department of Public Instruction for Wisconsin? Maybe. Um, whoever's responsible for um, administering the USDA food program for, for our students. We already got the letter on this. It's been in the press, too, over the last week or so, that uh, we must allow um, children who think of themselves as girls when they're physically, you know, biologically boys, um, to use the girls' restroom, or we no, we no longer are eligible for either uh, free or reduced lunch um, or, or, the, or the milk program. Um, now, we can, because we're religiously affiliated, they put a little exception in there, uh, we can apply for an exemption as a religious institution. Um, it's an unjust law for any number of reasons, and um, I'm not prepared to actually send in the exemption at this point. Um, I think it's actually conceding um, the point, and we shouldn't concede the point. Uh, this should not be allowed in, in our public forums, regardless of whether it's a, a Christian school or a public school. Anyway, so they're but they're attacking, of course, the nature of, of uh, biological reality, right? Male and female, and using um, coercion, ma- manipulation, withholding federal funds, um, and uh, dietary stuff. You know, for some children is actually absolutely essential. Um, all in the name of this agenda. Mm which is ungodly. Anyway, Moses states that upon this sin, there followed a punishment, namely the division of languages. All right, so now to the point of Pentecost. This may appear to have been a light punishment, but surely it was a terrible one if you take into consideration the extreme hardships that resulted from the division of languages. For one thing, identity of language is a very strong bond in human association, excuse me, and harmony among men. In this instance, too, the statement of the proverb is true. Quote, birds of a feather flock together. A German likes to converse and associate with a person of his own nationality, but where the languages differ, there not only um, no there not only no commerce develops, but hatred arises in the heart against the nation whose language you do not understand. Thus, a Frenchman hates and despises the Germans. Italians hate and despise all nations except themselves. <laughs> five hundred years ago, isn't that beautiful? Thus, almost five hundred, four hundred eighty. Thus, it is clear. That a result, as a result of this division of languages, hearts were disunited, customs changed, and dispositions and endeavors altered. Consequently, you can truthfully call it the seedbed of all evils, since it has caused political as well as economic confusion. Although these are very serious inconveniences, they are nothing in comparison with the confusion that the, that this division of language has brought to the churches, and the endless occasions it has provided for idolatry and superstition. 
who does not realize that the function of the ministry was almost entirely disrupted by the change in languages. Eber, who undoubtedly retained the first and true language, was unable thereafter to instruct others whose language he did not know and who could not understand him. Therefore, it is a great blessing and outstanding miracle of the New Testament that by means of various languages, the Holy Spirit on that day, on the day of Pentecost, brought men of all nations into the one body and one head, Christ. Acts 2. Christ joins and unites all into one faith through the gospel, even though the different languages remain. And he tears down the wall, Ephesians 2.14, not only by reconciling us to God through his death and speaking to us in a new language, but also by bringing about outward harmony so that different flocks are brought together under one shepherd and are gathered into one fold, John 10.16. This is Christ's blessing, and since it is common to all, differences in outward life cause no offense. Therefore, let us therefore give him the credit that through the Holy Spirit he has removed this most severe punishment, which was the beginning and seedbed of all evils and discords, and has brought us a holy harmony even though the different languages remain. For where Christ the mediator is not acknowledged, there is a disagreement of hearts like that of the languages, and there is horrible blindness. Hence, when we survey the histories of all nations and times, we see that various wars broke out and a great variety of customs, religions, and ideas arose because of the diversity of languages. This evil Christ wanted to remedy by means of a new miracle. (laughs) I myself do not understand Italian, nor does an Italian understand me, and so there exists a natural opportunity for anger and enmity between us. But, if we both understand Christ... We mutually embrace and heartily kiss each other as fellow members. But where Christ is not present, there the punishment of Babylon still prevails, the division of languages, which brings on sure division of hearts and gives rise to confusion, not only in the administration of the home and government, but also in religion and the church. This punishment, which was so terrible, warns us to be on our guard lest we fall away from the word or or prefer ourselves above others as though they were better and holier. Because Ham's descendants did this, a horrible punishment followed, which, in my estimation, brought greater harm to the human race than did the flood itself. The latter harmed only human beings of one time, but the former lasts until the end of the world, Babel. Although Christ brought us some help through his Spirit, yet how small is the part that receives the word and believes it? The remaining multitude is divided in its opinions as... It is in its languages and renders welcome service to Satan, the instigator of wars and discourse. All right, so we'll hold up there. Isn't that beautiful? Ah, there's so many good things in this this chapter. That's all of his introduction to chapter 1, or 11, excuse me. All right, so you can see how Luther kind of ties it all together. Uh, Ham is the weaker son, I suppose. Uh, Weaker, maybe, but not quite, because he goes and builds the city. Notice Luther makes that note that we're not opposed to cities. But we also need to recognize um, that what happens um, when you bring a city together is that sometimes they can all be, unfortunately, steered in the wrong direction together because they live in close proximity um, and come to accept immorality, especially um, together in ways that you don't necessarily see in a in the more agrarian parts of our country, you know, the farm country, flyover country. So you wonder, like, how can they be so crazy in the city? That's how, because uh, they. Uh, you're more easily manipulated when you're all uh, put together like that, and then you share a common language. Yeah, Chris says, we have a lot of people who use words for mind games to this day. Um, there's actually a, a really, it's a, it's a hard book to read, but it's uh, by a psychologist that I read back in the 50s, I want to say. 
and I think it's called um, the games people play, if I remember right. Yeah, the games people games people play, um, written by uh, da, 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 what was his name? Um, Eric Byrne, right? Um, and it's called transactional analysis. There's lots of um, stuff about this. Just looking at at word games and and transactional games, how people um, use words to to negotiate basically relationships. That's pretty good. Um, what is it? What's this review by Kurt Vonnegut? An important book, a brilliant, amusing, and clear catalog of the psychological theatricals that human beings play over and over again. <laughs> right? It's an analysis of Babel in a lot of ways. So it's really a good book. All right. So uh, hopefully that gets you ready for tomorrow. Um, at least be better prepared and think about uh, what God is is accomplishing on Pentecost, how he's removing that curse. Um, but I, I really think Luther's right, is that that removal only happens not by our own reason or strength, but only by the word of Jesus. This would be a good thing to emphasize tomorrow. All right. What is baptism? Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word, which is that word of God. Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Matthew, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What benefits does baptism give? It works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal salvation to all who believe this, as the words and promises of God declare. Which are these words and promises of God? Christ our Lord says in the last chapter of Mark, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. All right, we've been singing this hymn, um, God Loved the World So That He Gave, all week. Here's a little uh, historic note uh, written by uh, now-deceased Carl Schalk. Johann Olierius, 1611-1684, was court preacher at Halle and uh, Weissenfels, and a leading theologian of his time. He produced a systematic theology that is a commentary on the entire Bible, and also a great many academic and devotional books. And the most comprehensive hymnal of the period, Geistliche Singerkunst, Leipzig, 1671. This hymn appeared in that book in the section of hymns teaching the chief articles of the Christian faith. The translation by August Kroll, 1845-1923, is found in uh, Evangelical Lutheran Hymn Hymn Book, 1889. That was the first English hymn book of the Missouri Synod. It has continued in use with some alterations in most Lutheran hymn books to the present. All right. Uh, Let's see. Any other notes here? I don't know about the tune. Where does the tune come from? Uh, It doesn't tell us. Well, anyway. Good. Let's sing it.
Let us pray. O King of glory, Lord of hosts, uplifted in triumph far above all heavens, leave us not without consolation, but send us the Spirit of truth whom you promised from the Father. For you live and reign with him in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray today for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord, Lord of mercy. We pray in Thanksgiving today with Barb, who celebrates her baptism. We pray for the households of our church, especially Michael and Michelle, Joe, Dale and Pam, Summer, Greg and Sharon, and Jessica. Pray for those ill receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Bev, Kelsey, Amanda, Dan, Brad, Timothy, and Pastor Kretchmar, Merlin, Jim, and Mike. Homebound Bev, Willis, Ed, Mickey, and Paul. The missions and mercy work of the church, especially Sheboygan Hispanic Ministry. For we pray for an in, a preservation and increase of humility, and we pray for those grieving, especially the community of Uvalde. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Good. It's been a joy to have you with us here today. Uh, Hopefully that helps you prepare or think a little bit about um, the relationship of Babel to Pentecost. And of course, tomorrow we'll hear um, our Lord bring us together. Well, actually, we won't just hear. Our Lord will bring us together uh, with one voice, with one new song, and receiving that um, unifying message that is the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ crucified. All right. So hope to see you again tomorrow uh, and uh, stay for Bible class if you're able. Continue in our work in Zechariah. Uh, Lord be with you today and uh, be with you. Did I already say that? Yes. And bless you. There we go. <laughs>